0: too daunting, no sacrifice too great, because we believe that our God is without limit, that our God really wants to do great things among us, and he's waiting for us to really take those steps of faith, really believe that he can do anything. And God's calling us to, to bring this living hope to a world that really needs him. And we've been talking about, you know, the idea that God is leading us to four different groups, those affected by disabilities, to foster children and foster families, to single parents, to those who are victimized. by by human trafficking. And so we we really do believe that, that God has given us together a passion, and we're going to see how God works those out in the future. Now, today we're going to be continuing our study on Colossians, the book of Colossians, and what it means to be complete in Him. And we saw that being complete in Jesus means that as we've accepted Jesus as Savior, that a powerful a change occurs in all of our lives. We instantly become a new creation, a child of God, recovered with the righteousness of Jesus Christ. We also saw that in, that in Jesus, we're given everything that we need to walk this path, to honor him, to live for him in this world, everything to fulfill God's mission for us in this life. And we also saw that In Jesus, in the completeness of Jesus, we're given this hope that at the end of our lives, at the finish of this path, uh, that we are destined for eternity to be with Jesus, that nothing in this world can ever shake or take away uh, our hope. And so today we're going to continue as we look at the victory that we have in Jesus Christ. I'd like you to turn with me to Colossians chapter 2, verse 6, Colossians chapter 2, verse 6. And in reverence for the word of God, let's all stand together and follow along as I read from the word of God. Therefore, as you've received Jesus, Christ Jesus, the Savior and Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him, and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy or empty deceit, according to human tradition or according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. For in him, the whole fullness of deity deity dwells bodily, and you have been filled in him who is the head of all rule and authority. In him also you are circumcised with a circumcision made without human hands, but by putting off the body of flesh, by a circumcision of Christ, having been buried with him in baptism, which you were also buried May the Lord bless the reading of his word. Now, this passage actually is the the culmination of all the things that Paul had been speaking of in chapter 1. Now, Paul in chapter 1 had been talking about the supremacy of Christ, that Christ is supreme over all creation, that that in him we are complete, we are saved, we are made righteous, and as we saw last time, that that even our struggles and our trials on this earth are are, are there to prepare us to worship Jesus perfectly and then now Paul after this he gives the main idea of what he's trying to say now in verse 6 and he says therefore as you have received Christ Jesus as Lord so walk with him rooted and built up in him and establish in the faith just as you were taught abounding with thanksgiving here Paul is really saying that he wants us to walk in the completeness that we have in Jesus Christ, to really show to others through the way we live, through the choices that we make, that Jesus is all we need and all that we want. And in this passage, Paul gives us uh, several important truths about what it means to walk according to our completeness in Christ. And they they all fall under this idea of victory. Now, in a military vocabulary, there is what is called um, an unconditional surrender. Now, this term was actually uh, popularized during the American Civil War. Now, you know, I I love the Civil War, so I'm always going to give these little things about the Civil War, but sometimes in a long, drawn-out battle, the lesser of the two forces, when they recognize that they're eventually going to be defeated, they will send out a courier and give the terms of surrender. Surrender. And so these concessions would be made from the, the, the stronger of the two and they would say, okay, we'll do this and this if you surrender the, this to us. And so that's what it means to, that's what was a normal idea of surrender. Now in the battle of Fort Donelson, uh, the Union Army was surrounding this fort and General Ulysses S. Grant, basically they were gonna win. There was no way that the Confederates could hold this fort. And so, the commanding officer of the Confederates sent out their courier to ask for the terms of surrender of this fort, or to negotiate the terms of the surrender. And Grant's reply was a historic reply, and he said, there will be no terms except an unconditional and immediate surrender that can be accepted. And this gave him... Uh, the nickname, U.S. Grant, is Unconditional Surrender Grant. That's that they called him. So there's a little trivia for you. Uh, and he would carry this name and he would carry this idea with him throughout the Civil War. Basically, he's saying there's no concession, no compromise when it comes to war. And um, in Unconditional Surrender, it means that the victor determines all the terms and the vanquished must comply. The vanquished cannot give any conditions or terms of surrender. There's no concession, no compromise. Uh, The victor tells the vanquished, this is what you're going to do. Now, in the victory that we have in Jesus, this is an unconditional victory. Satan and this world has an unconditional surrender. The Satan in this world cannot dictate terms to Jesus to say this is what we want to do if we surrender to you. They can't say to Jesus, well, um, Jesus, you win, and so people who, uh, they can follow Jesus, they can follow you in spiritual things, but in worldly things, maybe, you know, you can give us a little bit of influence, you know, Or, or, you know, the majority of situations you know we agree that the bible is law that it's good to follow the bible that the bible's right but you know in maybe extreme circumstances you know really exceptional circumstances jesus can maybe people choose uh, not to obey his word if it's appropriate but in an unconditional surrender jesus says no This is an unconditional victory. It is a complete victory. No concessions will be made, no compromises with a defeated enemy. Satan, you lost the war, you are vanquished. You must accept the terms of this victory, your judgment. And Paul is saying, in Jesus Christ, we share this same victory over Satan and over this world. And he says, now we must live this victory, And so the first thing that he talks about in walking in victory with Jesus, he says, never surrender to a defeated enemy. I mean, that makes sense, right? Never surrender to a defeated enemy. Um, Verse eight says, see to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit, according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of this world, and not according to Christ. And basically, Paul is saying, when you've won the war, You don't surrender to the enemy. You don't bargain with Satan or with the devil or with the world because Jesus has victory. There's no need to compromise. And Paul says, see to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy or empty deceit. Now, the word here philosophy is not like the academic or professional discipline of philosophy. Philosophy is this. It is basically a worldview it is beliefs and tendencies and points of view in this world that stand in direct opposition to Jesus and the word of God. And this idea of uh, this this philosophy that comes from men, and it says the elemental spirits of this world is another word for basically uh, demonic powers. And and verse 9, Paul says, this is why. Because in Jesus, the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily, and you have been filled in him who is the head of all rule and all authority. And so here there's this emphasis on fullness, you know, the fullness of deity dwells in you. Be filled in him, all rule and all authority. There's nothing outside of Jesus, nothing outside of his rule, nothing outside of his victory. And he's emphasizing Jesus is all you need. Jesus is all you need. Jesus is all you need. Why is Paul emphasizing that? Why is he worried that they're going to give themselves to uh, this defeated enemy? Well, Paul is, is concerned that really, that, that the Colossians may surrender to the world when they don't have to. And, and so we think about you know, what does um, this victory, uh, what does uh, this compromise actually look at look like? And Paul says that compromise is already defeat. He you don't have to completely, fully capitulate to the enemy to be defeated to have, give them power over you. He says that compromise, just even some compromise is already making yourself a slave or taking away this victory that Jesus has given to you that you share in him. Now, um, it's interesting because in verse 11, Paul begins to spend a lot of time talking about this idea of circumcision, spiritual circumcision, which actually is not a tradition of the Colossians because the Colossians were mostly Gentile. But this is most likely a vulnerable area for the Colossians. Why? Uh, Because at this time, it's possible that many of the false teachers were telling the Gentile Christians in Colossae, saying, you know, you guys... um, it's great that you love Jesus and it's great that you accepted Jesus and, and we don't want to disturb that, but, you know, if you really think about it, you know, you guys are second-class Christians. Uh, you're not as good as the Jewish Christians. They say, well, why? Well, because because the Jewish Christians, they have circumcision. They have all these uh, ceremonies and things that you don't observe and, and, and so you're not truly uh, with the rest of the crowd. Uh, in fact, if you just... Add a few things. Um, you get circumcised. You follow some of these things, then you can be complete. You know, Jesus hasn't given you everything. So there's a sense that basically, um, the, these false teachers, the world is telling them that Jesus is not enough. That it's good that you have Jesus, but I want to. You know, we have something else that you you need. Like just be circumcised. It's just a little thing that you add onto it will make your experience of life so much better. And Paul says, Paul says, hey, you know, I know what these false teachers are saying, what the message of the world is saying, and how it is tempting you, and where you can fall, and that is in this idea that, hey, Jesus is good, but maybe he's not enough. You know, maybe there's something else that you can add to it to make life even better, Closer to God, uh, more fulfilled, and 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 he says, uh, uh, and he says, you know, the idea that. This, this idea that, oh, you know, if you just follow uh, the law and, and just get circumcised, it's just one little compromise, it's not a big deal. But, but Paul says, no, this is a big deal. In fact, Paul says, you don't need to be circumcised because you already are circumcised. And now that's why this, this, uh, dis- this discussion that Paul gives is very, um, it's very heavy, but there's a lot of interesting things in here. Paul's saying, this is what God did to win the spiritual war. This is the victory that you have in Jesus. He says, in him, you were also circumcised with a circumcision made without hands, by putting off the body of flesh, by the circumcision of Christ, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through the faith in the power of the working of God, who raised him from the dead. Now, this is a very difficult uh, passage to interpret. And to be quite honest, I was really struggling with this, because I was reading through these things and trying to decide, because there were two ways of interpreting it, and both of them seemed pretty strong. But it all revolved around these words, by putting off the body of the flesh, by the circumcision of Christ. What does that actually mean? Now, a lot of times, and this is what I had kind of thought before, this idea of circumcision of Christ is we think of it as circumcision by Christ. Because it says, you're not circumcised by living hands, you're circumcised of Christ. You have the circumcision of Christ. Now, we, we tend to interpret this as saying, oh, by Christ, Christ circumcised us. He cut off the fleshly desires or cut off our flesh Us from the flesh, so that we now are raised with him. But actually, when you look at the way in which this is placed in the passage and the way it is actually written, it's more likely that it is the circumcision of Christ. Not the circumcision that Christ did to us, but the circumcision that he experienced that we are sharing. In that same circumcision okay so that's that's the difference there now why is that different basically what this translation how this can be translated is is to say we were circumcised with Jesus when Jesus was stripped of his body of flesh when he was circumcised, meaning when he was crucified, meaning we're sharing in this experience of Jesus. We died with Jesus in the way that he died with G- the way that he died. We were circumcised in the way that he was circumcised. In a sense of the, because the idea of of, of uh, the body of flesh is literally the tearing away of flesh from the body. And so we think about this, and circumcision, and here's here's the argument. Circumcision is a form of physical mutilation, okay? And uh, I once told my sister that circumcision was the cutting off of the tip of your finger, because she asked me when she was really young, and it was really hard for me to explain what it was. I said, it's just cutting off the tip of your finger. So she goes, ooh, gross, you know. But anyway, it's the mutilation. It's a little thing about me. But anyways, (laughs) it's a physical mutilation. It is a sign or the initiation of the inclusion into the old covenant and the nation of Israel, right? It's a mutilation of the body to enter in to a, a new community, which is the, the, the Jewish community. Now, the circumcision of Christ is the initiation into the new community of the church, it's, it's a new circumcision. It's a different circumcision. That you don't have to go through the old circumcision to get into Israel because Jesus Christ has a circumcision that is new that brings you into the church once you receive Jesus as Savior. Jesus' body was mutilated and tortured at his crucifixion. His flesh was literally torn off of the body. It's a very graphic picture because normally we get injuries, we get cuts and things like that, and it hurts. But to have flesh torn off of the, literally torn off of our bodies. It's very graphic, but that's actually what happened to Jesus. When they were whipping him, they were literally tearing off his flesh. And he was saying, this is the circumcision of Christ, how he brought about the initiation of this new covenant. And this is how we also enter in to this new covenant as well, that we share in this circumcision. We share in this death of Christ. And what Paul is doing is he is reminding us with a very graphic image of the price of the victory that we have in Jesus Christ. To picture Jesus with his body being mutilated and tortured. And Paul is saying, that is what God did. That is what it took to bring you into this new relationship with God. In Christ's circumcision is Jesus' humiliation and brutal torture at the death of the hands of the Romans. Paul says, when you accepted Jesus through faith, you also were circumcised. You also died with Jesus Christ, and then you were raised with him through his through his resurrection, and you have victory in Jesus Christ. And that's what he's speaking of in this passage. And so he is saying to a, to the Colossians, what more can you really want? What more can you ask of God? What more can you say you're missing out on? Or what, how can you say that God is holding back something good from you when, when, when God was willing to do this much, uh, when Jesus was willing to do this much to purchase each one of us, to give us this new life and this new community, how can you look at the world and say, oh, the world, but the world has better stuff. Oh, the world is telling me that Jesus is not enough, that that what he did was great, but, but the world has something better to give me. And Paul says, Jesus took all the sacrifice and the suffering so that you and I can experience victory. And we look at this and we say, well, it's not fair for Jesus. He gets all the hurt and all the pain, and we get all the blessing. But it reminds us that there's no limit to the grace of God. God is, is willing to give us everything that we need, nothing inferior. And so, so as we think of this, uh, we, we think of Jesus dying on the cross for us, we think about what ways do we say that God is not enough in our lives? And we're coming to Easter. And this is why we're coming to Easter. This is why we're studying this. We're thinking about the death of Christ. We're thinking about the cross of Christ. And as we think about the cross of Christ, as we think about the resurrection, we want to ask the question, what aspects of this world makes us feel like Jesus is not enough? Well, and, and the second question is even more important. In what ways do we honor Jesus less because of it? Okay? In what ways are we, we talked about this in our Life Bible class, in what ways are we, in a sense, robbing God of his glory, robbing Jesus of his glory because we feel like Jesus is not enough, that, 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 that the world can offer us something, uh, something more, and, and see, here's the thing, is, is we sit here and we say, well, uh, maybe Jesus is not enough for uh, my feeling of fulfillment. And we say, well, fulfillment is about being satisfied, being happy. And we feel like, you know, Jesus is not enough for me to feel like I'm getting the most out of this world. What, what in the world, what in this world makes me feel like, hey, Jesus is okay, but, you know, I want more, I want more stuff. I deserve more stuff. I want more things, the things that other people have, even people that don't have Jesus. I want those things because I think that those things will be a part of making me feel more fulfilled, more happy. And we say, well, now, more importantly, is this feeling that Jesus is not enough for my contentment, is it, doing, is it causing me to do anything that gives Jesus less glory? That, that's the important question. You know, am, am I spending a lot of time trying to get the most out of life instead of, and, and trying to fit Jesus around that? Or am I, am I counting serving God as a sacrifice because I have to sacrifice worldly things that are so important, but no, I'm going to, sacrifice these good things for Jesus. I'm going to give up these good things that that I want to have for my fulfillment and my joy, but I'm going to give them up for Jesus. Well, I'm not sure if that makes Jesus feel honored, right? Here's another one that probably hits our minds, especially now. Is Jesus not enough to make me feel safe and secure? do I have fears in my life? Do, I, do, do, do these affect my actions? I mean, we know about the school shooting and things like that, and even little kids now, they're afraid. Teachers are afraid. We're afraid that, man, any, at any point in time, I could die. Uh, something could happen. We feel stressed, and we feel like, well, I'm, am I, is it affecting my actions? Am I not stepping out in faith because of my fear? Am I not acting out in love uh, because I'm afraid. Um, in the news the other day, there was a woman who reached out. I don't know if you saw in the news. She was a, 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 a vet, and she was a, a, a homeless person. And she reached out to another lady who was a homeless person and brought her into her house. And she said, "I understand the suffering, and I'm going to let you in, and you can stay here and rest." And it was cold. You know, it's been cold the last few days. She let her into the house and and uh, let her stay on the couch. She went to work and came back, and that person stole her car. It's gone. She said, "She leaves her keys right on the thing. The, the homeless person stole her car. She never got it back. And she says, it's my car. It's the only car I've ever owned. I'm a homeless person. I was a homeless person before. I know what it's like. And I really reached out to this person. And what did they do? They stole my car. They took everything away from me. And we look at this and we say, man, is it worth it to love anymore? Is it worth the risk? Because I'm going to lose my worldly things. Because I'm going to lose things. Maybe I shouldn't. Maybe I need to be careful about how I love people, how I put myself out there for people because I'm going to lose these worldly things that are so important to me. Or I'm afraid. And we need to say, hey, is Jesus enough to feel safe and feel secure? Not to be foolish, but to say, when there are times when I can show love of, of Jesus Christ and it puts me at a little bit of risk, will I do it? because I believe that Jesus is enough to make me feel safe. Another thing, uh, is Jesus enough to uh, secure, to guarantee my future? Um, We are sorry. he guarantees our future, right? We have victory in Jesus Christ. I mean, we know what our future is, it's it's guaranteed. But what am I doing financially that shows that uh, I'm really giving the less, less than the best for Jesus Christ, because why? Because I'm afraid that Jesus is not enough for my future that I can't trust him to take care of me, that I'm hoarding money or that I'm overly concerned about money because I believe that I need a certain lifestyle uh, to be maintained when I retire. And retirement's coming up soon and I'm calculating and if I'm going to live at this lifestyle, I need this. And I don't think God's going to give me that money to to live at this lifestyle. So uh, Jesus is not enough to secure my future. And so we start doing things that dishonor Jesus. We're less generous when we have the opportunity. We don't give to those in need. We don't give to those that can advance the kingdom of God in a better way than I can ever do with the money that I have. And we say, well, am I missing out on, on great spiritual growth even for myself because I'm willing to spend the money to, to help myself to grow because I'm saving money for my retirement that God has already promised is going to be taken care of? Is Jesus enough for me to feel completely accepted and loved? Oh, this is a big one. Do I really feel loved by God and say, that's enough for me? Or am I still trying to gain the favor of people to make me feel good about who I am? I mean, that's a big one. That really tells. We can say, oh, no, God, Jesus is enough for me. But boy, do I feel crummy if I don't have enough friends or if I'm not that popular. Or if I'm not respected and admired like other people, am I compromising my testimony? Am I wasting my time? Am I changing my behavior, or compromising obedience to Christ just to gain the favor of others? And we say, "Oh, it's for the gospel, but you know, Jesus don't need us to compromise for the gospel. Uh, the gospel goes forth through truth, right? We don't have to compromise to give out the gospel. Are we allowing people? Am I allowing people to control me? That's the whole thing. It's like, oh, Jesus, is enough for me. But you know, I'm going to please some people because I want to be popular in school. I want to be a good testimony at work, so I can share Jesus. But no, it's really, I just want to, I want to be fulfilled professionally. I want to feel good about my profession. Um, i I'm a, we say I'm a slave to to my work, but no, I'm not a slave to my work. I'm a slave to my own ambitions. And my own insecurity and my own desire to, to say, this is who I am because of how people feel about me or how they see me at work or at school. I'm so wrapped up and consumed in all of these things. And, and what it is, Paul is saying that what, when we do these things, all we're doing is we are surrendering to a defeated enemy. We're we're giving up our victory in Jesus Christ. Jesus' hard fought battle to give us this freedom, to defeat the enemy once and for all. And he says, I shed my blood, I had my flesh ripped off of my body in order to give you this victory. So we don't have to go through that sacrifice, we don't have to go through that suffering to have this victory. And why, why would we surrender? to an enemy that's been defeated. Why would we compromise in anything? Because compromise in anything is already defeat. That's what Paul's saying third thing that Paul says in this passage, he talks about our victory in Jesus Christ. And he talks about the crucifixion. He, he talks about the crucifixion, and now he turns to victory. And I want you to think about this. You think about it, and we're going to be thinking about this as we come to Easter. And close your eyes if you want to think about it, as long as you're not tired, and say, you know, you picture Jesus on the cross. The body of his flesh was torn from me he was beaten with rods, he was whipped with sharpened objects, he was spit on on his raw flesh, and he hung on the cross for my sin. And you think about that picture, and now you open your eyes and you say, Jesus is risen. The war is over. Satan Is defeated and it is an unconditional surrender. He has no power, he has no weaponry, no right over anything anymore or any part of our lives. And here's the victory in verse 13. And you who are dead in your trespasses and sins, you who are hopelessly separated from God, yet God made us alive together with Jesus. Jesus forgave all of our sin. He canceled the record of death that condemned us with all of its legal demands. He took this damning list and he nailed it to the cross and God disarmed all the powers of darkness and sin and put them to open shame through the the triumph of his beloved son, Jesus. Amen. This is a victory. Amen? Amen. Amen. This is a victory that we have in Jesus. First thing, you who were dead in your trespasses and sins and the uncircumcision of your flesh are now made alive with Jesus. Colossians, he says, Colossians, you were joined. He says, you, before you were joined with Christ, you lived in the realm of death. Everything smelt of death and hopelessness. Uncircumcised means separated from God. There's nothing of God in your life. There's nothing of God in this place. There's nothing good, nothing beautiful, nothing eternal in your life. That was what you were before Jesus, and now in Jesus, God has made you alive. You are in the living. All those things of death has now shed from you, and you're clothed in a new body and you have a new heart and you're destined for a new heaven and a new earth filled with life, a river of life that continues to fill us day by day. That's the victory we have in Jesus. That's the life that others in this world can only dream of and we have it. People in this world would, if they knew the type of life that we have, they would give everything that they own, everything that they own, to possess it. And God gives it to us freely. And it will never take it away. That's the promise. That's the victory. That's the first part of the victory that God gave us. In in, in verse 14, another vivid metaphor of Christ's victory. He says, he canceled the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. And thus, he set it aside, nailing it to the cross. Now, the written code is like this IOU. It's like a legal note that um, acknowledges that we have an obligation to pay this debt. And it's signed by the debtor, it's signed by us. And so, uh, so whenever they hold that out, we're reminded, oh my gosh, I have a debt. So it's kind of like, whenever you feel really good about your life and whenever you're free, this debtor comes by, holds up this note and says, but remember how much you actually owe me. Remember all that money that you actually are spending and doing right now? It belongs to me, you have to pay me. I mean, it's, it's like you ever have like, this thing hanging over your head all the time. It's like, it just ruins your day. You're like, man, I was having a good time until I was reminded of that. You know, I was almost felt free, I almost felt like life was great until oh, all this debt. And Jesus says, I don't want you to live like that anymore. And we say, but God, this debt is real. That's not just a piece of paper. These are, these are, this is money that I actually spent, money that I actually took, debt that I actually owe, and it's getting longer and longer, and, and there's nothing that can be done about this. And Jesus takes that debt, that piece of paper, he rips it away from the debtor, and he nails it to the cross, and he says, you go away. Debt has been paid, and you never bother this child ever again. And Whenever we feel like um, the guilt is coming back, the shame is coming back, or we're afraid that this person is going to come and bring another list, Jesus says, no, look, you look at the cross, there's your list, it is nailed to the cross, there's no more debt, no one will come to collect, you're free, you're cleansed, you're forgiven. That's your life. That's what the cross means. That's what Jesus did for you and me, to take away this debt. You are free, you are victorious. When we walk in life, there's nothing gonna take away our joy. There's nothing gonna take away and say, remember when you did this? Remember when you did this? Or I know you're doing this, or I know you're doing that, and I know you're not that good of a Christian like people think you are, because I know about all these things that Satan wanting to tell us, and Jesus says, hey, don't worry, it's nailed on the cross. He bring that up to me. I took it, nailed on the cross. He don't even have a list anymore. He don't have anything to write on anymore, because it's nailed to the cross. Do not fear. This is the victory that you and I that we have in Jesus Christ. Third and final picture of Jesus' victory. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them, in him, in Christ. You know, sometimes we walk the spiritual walk and we may feel powerless and we may feel like, oh God, but the temptations are so great and the demands are too overwhelming and my, my faith is just not uh, uh, strong enough to fight. And Paul says, but this is what Jesus did on the cross. He disarmed strip the powers and authorities of their potency, of their power, of their ability to influence you, of their ability, their attractiveness, or their ability to intimidate you. Jesus has has taken that all away and he has stripped them. Literally when prisoners, if you wanna put them to shame, you shave their heads and you strip them naked and make them march in front of the victors. And this is a sense of open shame being stripped naked, saying, you're nothing, you're nothing. See, in this world, Satan and the darkness of this world will often cover themselves in glorious disguise, right? I mean, there'll be flowing robes, beautiful hair, uh, manicured nails saying, this is what you want to be. You want to be like me, like the world. You want to drive the car that I drive. You want to have the lifestyle that I have. You want to have the friends that I have. And and they look like all this stuff is so beautiful and I'm so powerful and I'm the, the victor. But Jesus says at the cross, Jesus ripped up all of that facade and that masks and tore all these things apart and shows Satan and the world and sin for what it is. Naked. Shameful. Weak. Nothing to attract us away from Jesus. Nothing to say, boy, I wish I had some of that added to what I have with Jesus. No. No. Because in Jesus, when he died on the cross, he exposed the deeds and the ugliness of sin and who Satan really is and what it is that we are constantly being tempted about. It's ironic, on Good Friday, and we'll talk about this, when Good Friday comes, you know, Jesus marched along the Via della Rosa, and, the, and Jesus' captors, they were dressed in their fine religious robes and their Roman uniforms, and they dragged Jesus through the city, stripped him naked, held him with contempt, nailed the charges against him on the cross, as if he was the one to be ashamed, that he was the one being accused, that he was the one that was powerless, but in spiritually, in reality, what God was doing at the cross, was exposing the ugliness, the hatred, uh, the, 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 the depravity of sin, and the judgment of sin, and he was pronouncing judgment not on Jesus, but on the people around him, and in Jesus' resurrection, God made it very clear, saying, you cannot stop him. No matter what the world does, no matter what the world does to try to humiliate, to destroy, to torture, to, 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 to dress Jesus' victory in a different picture, Jesus' resurrection shows that Jesus, that God has a victory, God has triumph over every power and authority. Satan is, is defeated unconditional surrender Uh, when the rulers put Jesus to death they were unaware that his death would actually conquer over them he's the victor and Paul says we who are in Jesus Christ we share this victory we are victors because we shared in his crucifixion we shared in his death and so we share in his resurrection we never surrender to an enemy we never surrender to a defeated enemy Satan is defeated the philosophies of man that are against god defeated the worldliness and, and evilness of this world that dresses itself up as angel of light is defeated and you never surrender to a defeated enemy compromise is already defeat if we compromise with this world if we compromise in any way to say jesus is not enough we are defeated And Paul said, You hold to this victory of Jesus. It's yours. You remember, we remember what God did, what Jesus did to purchase this victory. How can we ask for anything more? How can we want anything more? How can we live any different than to live in this victory? that Jesus has given to each one of us. Let's go ahead and let's spend some time in prayer. and Let's spend some time thinking again about this victory that Jesus has given to us. You don't let the world beat you down. We go out in this world, the world beats us down.